Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. So today we're in James chapter 5. And James chapter 5 is very unusual. Very, I wouldn't say unsettling, but it it's just one of the most unusual parts of the book of James. And it talks about wealth, which is something that apparently has plagued every society. It shouldn't plague, but has been been a part of every society since the beginning of existence, that there are wealthy people. And we're going to talk about that today. And I think before we just get into that, let's just go ahead and read. I think I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll probably have an interesting discussion about wealth. So this is James chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. All right, so this is, this is James, and he's talking about wealthy people. And he is not kind. It appears he's not kind to wealthy people. He says, weep and wail because misery is coming upon you. What, what misery could possibly come to a person who's wealthy? Well, um, there, there's, well, a couple things. First of all, the rich young ruler came to Jesus one day and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, what's the law? How do you read it? And he said, well, the way I read it, is love God and love your neighbor and you know love God and love your neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said, "Okay, that's great. You've got it right." And then the rich young ruler said, "Well, who's my neighbor?" And Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. He says, "Anybody who's in need is your neighbor." And the rich young ruler went away sad because apparently he couldn't he couldn't follow the law the way he wanted to follow the law. And Jesus made the comment, it is very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's difficult. It's, it's not impossible. As a matter of fact, there are very, very, very many wonderful, wealthy people that are in the kingdom of heaven. But it's harder for them. And why is it harder? I, I, I assume that it's, that it's harder because when you have all the resources in the world, you don't really need anybody else. You don't even need God. Why would you need God? You can have anything you possibly want on this world in any quantity that you want. You can have anything that you want. Why would you ever need God? And yet, we know that wealthy people need Jesus just as much as poor people, just as much as middle class people, just as much as anybody. Jesus is for everybody. So I, it is clearly true that the wealthier you are, the more difficult it can be to manage, not manage, to align that philosophy of having that money with, with being in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying it's difficult. It's just harder. Um, 
So apparently to James, if you're rich, you're going to weep and wail because misery is going to come upon you and your wealth is going to rot and moths have eaten your clothes and your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. So it almost sounds like for James that people who oppress the, the poor, people who oppress the poor who are wealthy will burn like fire at some point. Now, this also ties in with the parable of uh, Abraham and Lazarus where, where Lazarus dies and he... Uh, there's a rich person that dies, there's a poor person that dies, and the rich person is burning in hell, and the poor person is is eating in a lab of luxury, and the poor person says, the rich person says, hey, you know, tell all my friends and relatives that this is horrible for me, that that I don't want to be in this place, and let them know, and Jesus in the parable says, well, even if an angel from heaven were to come and tell you about the fact that, that you're in hell, it wouldn't, it wouldn't impact anything, so there's just there's a lot of parables there's a lot of interesting things in the bible when it comes to wealth and part of that even is in the old testament if you look at the old testament prophets the one i'm thinking of is amos where there's these condemnations that come out of amos because of the wealthy that are oppressing the poor and you'll remember earlier in james it talks about when a rich person comes in, we fawn all over them. We give them the, the best spot in the building and we, we treat them like they're royalty. And then when the poor person comes in, we treat them like dirt. Now, all of this kind of comes together in a couple facts that we just should probably talk about. So we're going to talk about those. One of the facts is this. There is income disparity in the world. I don't know why there's income disparity in the world, but it appears that there always is. There was a guy named uh, Vilfredo Pareto, and he was a civil engineer who became an economist. And I've said before that civil engineers are, are God's gift to industrial countries. <laughs> uh, many good civil engineers out there. And he studied income disparity. And he actually went back and looked at income disparity across many cultures, across many political systems. And what he found out is that there's always an income disparity. That for whatever reason, no matter what, that approximately 20% of the people will have 80% of the wealth. He calls this the Pareto Principle. And there's actually a Pareto number or something like that that you can calculate that talks about income disparity. And he looked at, I think he was living in Italy at the time, even though I think he's born in France. He was looking at Italy. He looked at Europe. He looked at Germany. He looked at the, I think he was in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So he looked at the, the time around him. He looked at the 1700s, he looked at the 1500s, he looked at ancient Rome. He looked at all of these, wherever he could find data about the income distribution, he did the calculation. And what was interesting is that every time he did this calculation, he came up with this, what they call the Pareto Principle, which is that 80% of the wealth is concentrated in 20% of the people. And 
he started a field of science called income disparity, which has since been worked on and refined. And now it's a part of a global metric between nations where you have nations where you could say that 80% of the wealth is concentrated in 20% of the nations. And so there's this theory or thought that somehow if we have the right policies or the right government or the right principles, that somehow we as human beings can reduce income inequality. And so many people have tried to do something to reduce income inequality. And as a matter of fact, I believe that uh, Mussolini was a student of Pareto and he said, well, we can create a fascist government where we can actually reduce income inequality. But what we found or what has since happened since this is it doesn't matter what the government system is. It can be socialism, communism, fascism, oligarchy, monarchy, king, democratic republic, democratic communism. For whatever reason, it always seems that income disparity will happen and this number will always be there where you've got the vast majority of the wealth concentrated in a very, very low number of people, this Pareto distribution. And here in the United States, we've tried to do various things to try to equalize the wealth. We have a regressive tax system. We have regressive systems. We give education to the very, very poor. All of these different things that we're trying to do to create equality in the distribution of power and wealth, and we simply can't do it. It's just impossible. And so I think, personally, as an engineer who's looked at this, I think it's impossible. I don't think you can. I think the wealthier you are, the more you're able to protect yourself against people coming and trying to tax your wealth away or do different things to, to your wealth. I just think it's impossible. I don't think there is a policy. The only thing that seems to ever work to redistribute the power and the wealth and the influence is if the 80% at the bottom band together and they overthrow and take away the wealth of the 20% at the top. And that's called a revolution. And this has happened throughout time and throughout history where the people at the very, very bottom all gather together and they use the power of numbers to go against... The, the king or the queen or the monarchy or the oligarchy or the socialism or the fascism or whatever. And this just appears to happen time after time after time again in the history of mankind. I think the reason why this happens is because when you have wealth of any size, you attract wealth. And the more you attract wealth, the more you attract wealth. The more you have power, the more you attract power. People just, for whatever reason, are willing to give up wealth and power to people who have wealth and power. It seems to be a human condition. We want to align ourselves with people who have wealth and power. We want to say this is the person that we follow. It could be a politician. It could be an industrialist. It could be anything. In the early 1900s of the early part of the 20th century, the most powerful person was John Rockefeller. And because he was so wealthy and powerful, there was fear in the United States that he would become so wealthy and powerful that eventually he would take over everything. And so they 
forced him to split apart his company, Standard Oil, into several different companies, of which he still owned the lion's share of. And it made him become even more wealthy. So I'm sitting here in my uh, looking outside, and would you believe it's snowing again? Let's see if that gets picked up on our outside camera. Um, no, because the outside camera is still stuck at 658. Well, um, it is it is snowing outside. Uh, let's see if it's snowing in downtown Tucson. I can't tell, but it's snowing here. It is snowing outside. That is beautiful. I love it. Um, take a pause from listening to me and just look out a window and see the beauty of the snow if it's coming down in your area. You don't get to see this in Tucson that often. All right, so we're talking about the Pareto Principle and that how it's always part of mankind is that you get this distribution of wealth. So you are always going to have very, very wealthy people and you're always going to have poor people. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, the poor will always be with us. He didn't even like try to say we should overthrow the wealthy and give it to the poor or or anything like that. He just simply said the poor will always be with us. So why are people poor? Well, it could be they're poor because maybe they have some sort of physical ailment that forbids them from working. And so they're constantly having to to ask other people to help feed and clothe them. That might be one reason. There might be people that have checked out of society that are like, we don't, we don't think that we want to do anything anymore. We just really want to check out. We want to live somewhere where there's very few rules and regulations where we can live our lives. That might be, re- there's, a, there's a bunch of different reasons why people might check out or be forced to check out in the society. But Jesus did say the poor will always be with us. So I think that there's probably no government program, there's no way, uh, maybe short of an overthrow, that you can actually have a redistribution of the economic power and influence and wealth in a society. But even then, if you redistribute it, it's not going to change the Pareto principle. It just means you've taken it from one group of people and you've given it to another group of people. That's what we've found out even in revolution leader, in revolutionary times. It just resets the board as to who can rise to the top, but it will always rise to the top. There will always be wealthy people. And what J- John D. Rockefeller found out also was that he had a hard time trying to give away his wealth. Because every time he tried to give away his wealth, the people that he gave it to or the organizations that he gave to became, became dependent upon his wealth and they weren't managing the wealth that he was able to give them. And so it was, it was always a problem for him that he couldn't figure out a way to be able to help these organizations become self-sustaining without the benefit of a benefactor because he knew at some point the benefactor would go away and they had to stand on their own two feet. And the benefactor did go away, but the organization, the Rockefeller Foundation, still has not gone away and they still have a lot of funds and power and resources in downtown New York that they they can't figure out how to give it away. Uh, Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical guy, has the Lilly Foundation, and he's got all these great programs to try to give away foundational money, and he can't figure it out. He, well, he's dead, but that organization tries. Uh, the, the one that's the largest today is the Bill Gates and Warren Buffett Foundation, I think it's called the Gates Foundation, where Bill Gates took all of his wealth and put it in a foundation 
And then Warren Buffett said, hey, that's a good place to put wealth. And I think it has a lot of money. I wonder how much the Bill Gates Foundation has. I would say in the tens, maybe not even hundreds. Let's look up Bill Gates Foundation. Um, and my guess is that it has a lot of money. It's called the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation. Oh my goodness. Um, and it has $36.79 billion. And the income is $53 billion, and it has 1,400 employees as of 2018. Think of that. A foundation to give away funds has 1,400 employees and has $36.79 billion of assets, has $46.8 billion of endowment, and, ha and brings in an income of $53 billion a year. It's a foundation trying to get rid of the money, and it has $53 billion of income every year. That's the way life is, right? Um, one of the things that you can do is if you're in the poor class, is you can be angry and upset that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has so much money. We see a lot of people around the world that are living in poverty. We see a lot of the people around the world that don't have clean water or clean, clean air. They live under diseases. And we say, why doesn't somebody do anything about it? Well, Bill and Melinda Gates, I know they're trying to solve like malaria is one of the things. Education is another thing across the world. The problem is it's not a money problem. A lot of places around the world, it's a government problem where the government that these people live in is corrupt. It, uh, if money comes into that system because they are at the top of that system, they have managed to find a way to get a hold of that money so that they can live more comfortable than the people that they serve. And so the only way that money can come into a place and really, really help the poorest of the poor is if the government is willing to let that happen and just most governments across the world, they want to line their own pockets. They, they are part of the political, social, economic power structure of that society. And they don't want to make sure that the money and the funds that come in go to other people than themselves. That's just the way it happens. And it, it's like every society does this. I mean, why do people go to Yale and Harvard? It's not for the education. I don't think a Yale or a Harvard edu education is any better of an education than, than Pima Community College or, or University of Arizona. I think there's some of the fundamentals that you can learn that are just ubic you know, universal that you can learn. The reason why people go to Yale and Harvard is because of the people that they meet. And th they can then, therefore, use that influence and use those relationships to help further their own career. And that's why you have these Hollywood people who are trying to do everything they can in their power to make sure their people can get admitted to Harvard. They fake test scores. They, um, they use the power and influence they have to hire people to help their child get into Harvard or Yale so that they can be part of that political ruling class that exists in the United States. That's just, <laughs> that's the way life is. Now, the, the beautiful thing is that if you're a member of the kingdom of God, you are already in a kingdom that is much more powerful, much more beautiful, 
than anything this earth has to offer. And you can, you can act and feel and know that you are royalty of a better, higher, higher class of royalty than the people that, that are the royalty around the world. And that scares the royalty around the world because the only reason why they have power and influence is if we accede to them power and influence. And if you're in the kingdom, you don't have to accede to them power and influence. You don't have to watch uh, the people in Hollywood. You don't have to bow down to them. You don't have to take pictures of them if they're eating dinner at the restaurant that you happen to be in. You can ignore them. Say, you have no power or influence over me. I don't care about you. Of course, that's hard to do because human nature... Like if I were to, if, well, I can tell you that if I were in a restaurant, Elon Musk came in and sat down and had dinner next to me. It never would happen. But if he did, I would do everything in my power to get his autograph because <laughs> he's my, he's one of my heroes. And the Spider-Man did the same thing. I would, you know, I would try to do that. If Isaac Newton did that. We all have the people that we follow that we think are pretty cool. And we'd love to have even just a little bit of, of the shade that they offer. I don't know if that's the word because shading can be something different. But anyway, I just I just think that it would be against human nature to not go after and try to try to have these people give us an acknowledgement, I guess you could say. It's part of human nature. If you are rich and powerful, it just seems that rich and power and fame, wealth and power and fame and influence just follow you around. That's just the way it is. And there's no way to stop it. But James says, listen, you will weep and you will wail. And I don't think he's talking about all rich people here. I think he's talking about rich people where it's all about their own wealth and what they can do with it. And he said, your wealth will rot and the moths will eat your clothes and your gold and silver will be corroded. And this is true too. No matter how much wealth you have, if you do not manage that wealth, it will, it will corrode. If you give a person a million dollars, let's say you give a person who is a lottery winner a million dollars, it turns out that in a year or five years, all that money's gone. It just, it is very, very hard to man manage and maintain wealth because everybody's after it. The economy is not favorable to people who have a lot of wealth. It, there is a lot of powerful forces trying to redistribute that wealth. And so you have to hire a team in the Bill Gates Foundation, you have to hire 1,400 people to be able to manage to make sure that that foundation can still exist and give money across the world. It is not just something you can give somebody a million dollars and say, hey, because we are human nature. We want to spend that money on ourselves or we want to, whatever it is, we have a hard time. Most people who win the lottery are in a worse situation after the funds come in than than when the, the before they won the lottery. It's just human nature. And I don't know why it is that way. It's sinful condition. So what what is the lesson here? The lesson is, is if you have wealth, power, and influence, be aware that God has granted you that wealth, power, and influence for his kingdom. And it is wise to use whatever we have for the kingdom. Whatever God has blessed us, let's use it for the kingdom. That's, that's number one. Number two is it's, it's, if you don't use it for the kingdom or you don't put it to work for you, it'll, it'll rot and it'll corrode and at some point you'll have nothing. 
Jesus even told a parable about this. We had the guy who had all the grain and he put all the grain in silos, but then it rotted. So he had all this wealth sitting in silos and yet it rotted. That is a, a truism also. And if you have way, if you have workers working for you, pay them a fair wage, which is very, very difficult to do because we also have this principle that says we should pay people what the competition says we should pay people. And so, for example, I understand that there's a proposal to put the minimum wage at $15 an hour, which sounds great, but there will be a huge uh, push to a lot of these organizations to say, is there a way we can automate this so we don't have to pay 50? Can we do it with less people, maybe more educated people or whatever, so that we don't have to pay $15? We don't have to pay a higher than a higher than prevailing wage on a person. I mean, all of these things go into thinking about how a business runs its company and how, how a business owner runs its company. And it's just very, very difficult. I'll just tell you that. It's very, very difficult. We live in a sinful world where there will always be income distribution disparity. There will always be wealthy people, some who use it for good and some who do not use it for good. And in the end, and I think this is the whole point of James, is that in the end, when we are forever with Jesus in our forever home, safe in his arms, in the mansion that he's prepared for us, we will live as members of the kingdom. And it won't matter what it was on earth because he is the ultimate king that provides all of his blessings and all of his resources and all of his power and everything to every single one of us. We are completely equal in the sight of God. And at some point, God will sort out the income disparity that happened in this life for those people. That's, that's the good news of the kingdom is that nobody take, you don't see a hearse you know, driving a U-Haul truck with gold coins in it. We all leave this, we enter this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing. And we live with Jesus forever with everything because of him. All right, so this is uh, this is pretty bizarre. I'm sorry, but it's it's snowing outside, and I got the flu shot yesterday, and so it's still snowing out this window. I gotta go hand out donuts. All right, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for for letting us be in your kingdom and giving us all rights and privileges that stay with us forever because of your Son Jesus. In His name, we pray. Amen. <music>